Have you ever been assigned a patient that winds up being not so cut and dry? Like those patients in acute care or the nursing home who have dysphagia but struggle to complete exercises or compensatory strategies because of their intellectual or developmental disability. Or the patient with respiratory failure who develops respiratory-driven cardiac arrest, gets intubated for 10 plus days, and is on a trach and vent. Oh, and he also has a history of stroke, congestive heart failure, COPD, diabetes, and traumatic brain injury. No textbook or single webinar could ever prepare you for that. But we have something that can help you get there, and it's totally free. On May 19th, the MedSLP Collective is hosting another never-been-done-before virtual summit titled Advanced Therapy for Complex Patients, a Medical SLP's Guide. Learn critical concepts with actionable steps you can take for those not-so-cut-and-dry cases. You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the Collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. In this episode of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, we have Matthew Dumakin. He completed his undergraduate degree in speech pathology at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut. He completed his master's degree and PhD in speech language pathology at Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, Texas. He is currently an assistant professor in speech language and hearing sciences at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And he loves ice cream and his cat, Benny. I hope you guys love this conversation. I learned a lot from Matt and I hope you all did too. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, Matt. How's it going? Good. Thank you so much for joining me. Happy to be here. Thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah. So excited to have this conversation with you. So tell the people a little bit about yourself if they don't know who you are. Uh, Well, I'm Matt. I'm not going to go with last name just because, you know. It's a it's a beast to say and and to get, but um, yeah, I'm a assistant professor at Western Michigan University. Credentials, you know, I've, I've worked in um, mostly in my clinical years. Uh, worked in a lot of skilled nursing and inpatient rehab and stuff like that. And uh, so a lot of my interest in kind of what I do really revolves around you know how can we use non-invasive tools and methods and stuff like that to determine if someone's at risk for dysphagia. Uh, and that was something that was definitely not something I'd ever think I'd research. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think coming from clinically places where I don't have access to fees, I don't have access to instrumental assessments right away. Um, that was just a big part of what I kind of love to do in research. Um, and really the other part of it is, What's happening with the airway when we swallow? Um, that's another big piece of, of what I do. I think outside of work, um, I know I put it in my hard bio, but um, I'm a proud cat dad to a awesome. cat named Benny. Um, he might make himself known during this because um, I have my door in my office closed, but he might want to come say hi. Not respect those boundaries like typical cats. He does not respect boundaries. All boundaries are his boundaries. Um, I have none. So that's it. That's me. Awesome. Awesome. Did you, did you decide to just, did did something tell you you wanted to go and pursue your PhD and get into research or did you always sort of think that was going to be your career path? Yeah. So I always liked, I liked the idea of research, uh, not really knowing what went into research. Um, it wasn't really on my radar. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to be a clinician. Yeah. And then 
got out into the clinical world. Uh, and you know, for, for lack of a better term, I was like, what am I doing? Yeah. What, what are we, um, am I doing the best things for my patients? Um, and an opportunity came up to do my PhD at TCU, Texas Christian in Fort Worth. Shout out, go Horn Frogs. Hey, Dr. Watts, if you're listening, um, opportunity kind of came up and stars aligned. And I was like, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Right. So, right. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. I always, I always like hearing people's career paths and things. So yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. All right. So what are we going to talk about today, Matt? Well, um, I'm known to go off topic, but if I can stay on topic and you guide me, okay. uh, like the great host that I know you will be, I'm here to chat about NMES or neuromuscular electrical stimulation um, in a laid back kind of just talk between us about what is it, how do we use it, um, and how can we get better at using it as a field in the future. All right. Awesome. I guess where should we start with it? Well, I think a good place to start um, for me is what is NMES? Yeah. Right. For whether it's clinicians, people not in the profession, for researchers, we see a lot of terms thrown around. Uh, you know, we hear ESTEM, we hear transcutaneous electrical stimulation, we hear NMES, but those are all different things. NMES is a treatment protocol. It's a, it's based on physiological bases of how muscles and how the body works. NMES is not a device. It's not anything like that. It is a subset of this very broad term we hear, ESTEM. And what sets NMES apart or what defines NMES in that broad sort of umbrella of terms is what it's designed to do. Okay. And NMES is designed to do two main things. It's one, designed to make muscles contract. And two, it's designed to facilitate the movement of those muscles and structures in the direction we want them to go. And I think that just gets lost in translation a lot when we think about, oh, I'm using electrical stimulation. A lot of the muddied waters and a lot of the different ways we think about and apply this in our field can really just be pared down to what is it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you're using NMES, that's the context you need to be using it in, is to make a muscle contract and to move it where you want it to go. And so in order to be, in order for you to say myself as a clinician first and then a researcher, for me to say I'm using NMES, Whatever stimulus, whatever parameters you're using, it has to do one thing. It has to make a muscle contract. If it's not doing that, it's not NMES. You're doing some other form of electrical stimulation. Okay. All right. So that sort of differentiates between... Is that what differentiates sensory stim versus motor stim? Are we going to get into all that? We we can as umbrella and broad as we want to or not. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you are doing electrical stimulation and it's not causing a muscle to contract, then it's not an MES. In its name, if you are not evoking a motor response what you're doing is not NMES. Yep. It's something else. And that's fine if that's what you are doing. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important to just 
outline, if you're doing NMES, this is what you're doing. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing NMES. Um, the terminology is, you know, it's borrowed and I wasn't familiar with it until I, you know, yeah, just started actually looking into it and trying to understand um, what's happening with it. So I think it's important to so can actually I sort of ask the like silly devil's advocate question? Sure. So how do how do we know that we're getting a muscle contraction? I mean, obviously, like if it's an arm or a wrist or a leg, you, you can see the muscle moving, but we're dealing with swallowing and half. I don't want to say half our issue. Most of our issue, a hundred percent of our issue, is we can't see what we're doing. That's very, that's very true. Um, and I think that starts with understanding physiologically where are we putting okay. awesome. the electrodes and the stimulation. So that matters. It, it's probably it's hard to say what's most important, but you know, it is if we're not doing that or understanding that right, then. Whatever else comes after doesn't really matter. Um, and how we use it, where we place it, again, if we come back to what is NMES, we want to contract muscles and we want those muscles to move with whatever structures they're attached to in the direction we want them to go. Right? So if we want to make our th- quads, our thighs stronger, or we need to work on extending our leg, where do we put the electrodes to drive stimulation to? We put them over things that make the leg extend. (laughs) We're not going to do it over things that make it flex or whatever it is, right? And so understanding physiologically where we should be placing these things, from my view, and this is just my opinion, but I think it's kind of backed up by how muscles and structures work in the hyolaryngeal area. Physiologically, if you're not putting electrical stimulation, if you're doing NMES, if you're not putting it over the suprahyoids, then you're not using NMES the way you should be to treat dysphagia. And so I think that's the first battle is... Why do we put it there? Right. I, I say physiologically, it makes no sense to put it there, but why? Well, if we're using NMES to treat things like the only things we know we can probably target with it, decreased hyolaryngeal elevation and stuff like that, we want to move those structures in the direction we want them to go. Where do we want the hyolaryngeal structures to go? We want them to move up. We want them to move forward. And so if we're not doing that, then it doesn't really matter if we know we have a contraction or not because we're, I don't think we're doing things right if we're putting them anywhere else. Yeah. So how do we know if we're putting them in these submandibular, right, or superhyoid or whatever other term you want to use to locate it? If you are actually evoking a motor response, you should actually see movement upwards and forwards of the skin and of those structures um, if you are actually evoking a motor response. And in seeing that for the first time or for a lot of clinicians or researchers who haven't used it, it's like, Whoa. Yeah. Like, it looks like everything, and no one can see me if this is a podcast, obviously, but it looks like everything's just getting yanked and it's pulling the skin down from, um, um, just above the mandible, like on the chin. And it looks intense. It looks intense, right? It, it does. But if you are using, parameters that make sense for small muscle groups and for an area that is highly innervated with a ton of sensory information, 
if you're following those principles and the placement is correct, have you ever seen electrodes on a thigh or on wrist extensors and what happens? Yep. It looks like, right, all of a sudden it looks like there's like some phantom contraction that's happening and someone's arm is just like, or her hand is out of control. It looks weird. It looks strange. But all that's happening is that a muscle is contracting. That's that's it. That's all that's going on. So it looks freaky, but if you are doing it correctly, you can see it, and it's okay. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for explaining it that way. Um, I don't know if I I don't know if I explained it well, but I just feel like that was a very simple explanation, which I think a lot of people are looking for. Like, I think a lot of this stuff is just very complex, and I think that's where people get lost and you know, like, oh, maybe it's, you know, too complicated or it's not for me or, you know, it's, and so thank you for explaining it simply. Um, I'm happy to do it. I hope I can continue to do that. I don't know. We'll see. Yes. What are the big things in um, considering what an MES is and um, how it works and, and what it does is kind of trying to understand that NMES, again, as an approach, that's all it is. It's just a therapeutic approach. It's not, it's not magic. It's not anything like that. It's, it's not a, a plug and play type of therapeutic approach, right? Um, for those, for those of us who, um, know anyone or have had chronic pain or back pain or anything like that, you know, there's a lot of devices called like TENS, transcutaneous sensory-based things that alleviate pain. And you can just slap those on and it messes with all the pathways that deal with pain and stuff like that. And the spinal cord and the brain, and that's amazing. You just slap them on. That's not how NMES as a treatment principle is designed to work. Most of the evidence out of especially the physical therapy and physiotherapy realm shows that if you're going to be doing NMES, also need to be using voluntary active movements along with it while stimulation is on. And I think that's a really big thing to consider in that you can't just slap on some electrodes and let it go to work and expect function itself to get better. Um, and that's what a lot of the research shows is NMES it improves strength, but it also improves the function of what those muscles are doing. Um, and I think that's a thing that gets lost along the way too is muscles, all, all of our muscles, biceps, quads, hamstrings, we think of them in isolation. Mm-hmm. When in reality, they have one goal. And that's to move a structure from point A to point B, right? Like the whole point of your bicep when you flex it is to move your arm in. The whole point of your tricep is to extend it away. The muscles that we use for swallowing, they work the same way. Like their job is to move things from point A um, to point B. So the only way to get that function better is to do it while we're using NMES. And that's what a lot of the the data from all the other fields that use NMES, that's pretty much what they're in agreement on, is you can't just slap it on and let it go. You need to have the person, in our case, someone with dysphagia, they need to be swallowing while stimulation is happening to make that function better. Can I, can I ask you, can you quickly explain the difference between TENS and NMES? Yeah. So if we go back, right, at a very base level, what is NMES? It has to contract a muscle, and it has to move it from point A to point B, right, along with its associated structures, okay? TENS, transcutaneous electrical stimulation, 
is inherently designed to be sensory only. And that it's not designed, typically, it's not designed to make a muscle contract and has completely different parameters on what makes it do what it does. Tens, right? Again, that stuff that we think about like chronic back pain. And that's just an easy example. Um, you get these tens units and they sell some like, think like Icy Hot and like Dr. Scholl's and stuff like that. They just sell over the counter ones. You go buy, you slap it on your back and pain gets less. But it does that because it takes really high frequencies of electrical current. Um, and by frequencies, we mean how many discharges of electricity per second, right? Hertz. Something for us, you know, for anyone who does voice work or anyone who does anything like that, we know frequency hertz. It's how many things per second. And TENS uses really high frequency current to do that. And it does that to interfere with the signaling from the spinal cord and the central nervous system on pain in the nerves, right? And so that's one way it's used is pain. But something I've also seen in, oh, won't even go into that. But at the end of the day, it's sensory level. Like that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to improve pain by increasing or activating sensory-related pathways. Okay. This also means how strong the electrical current is, is what we can call sub-motor, right? How strong the current is, how much it's hitting things is sub-motor because it's not, it's not designed to elicit motor. It's designed to do sensory-related things. How that differs from NMES is we're trying to do different things. For TENS, we are increasing sensory information. For NMES, what are we doing? We need to contract muscles. Okay. Um, and so the parameters, what you do with electrical current is totally different. Just like when you think of dysphagia treatment. You would do different things for different physiological impairments causing the dysphagia. It's the same thing for something like TENS or NMES. You use it based on what the impairment is. And the parameters on what you do to achieve that for TENS or NMES are totally different. And I think... That gets lost in translation. Yeah, I've never heard it explained that way, so thank you. Yeah. Yeah. um, You know, it's, you know, you're never really familiar with what electrical stimulation is until you're, you know, until it's brought to your attention or, you know, you consider it for a treatment, but, like, different ways you apply electrical current do very, very different things. Um, And I think that's really important for anyone who's, thinking about using it or has used it and is considering it, those are things that need to be on your mind. What what exactly am I doing? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean I, I like I really liked what you said about, you know, just you treat the impairment. You know, so I, I'm curious now like is tens ever appropriate? You know, I think to my knowledge, and I, I truly don't know this, is are there different TENS devices out there that we would want to use for swallowing for some things versus I know, you know, a few different devices on the market that are marketed as NMES devices that, you know, all have different parameters themselves. And I'm just wondering what, you know, is there a, a need for all of them based on different impairments or not? You know, that's that's a good question. Okay. And okay. Awesome. I don't know if I have a good answer or the answer you okay. want, but it's a good question. It's a good question. 
Um, <laughs> you know, what, what you can use or do as a clinician, as a researcher, whoever, depends on what legally FDA cleared for us to use for dysphagia treatment. Fair enough. That was my legal answer for that. Thank you for Um, that. (laughs) But at the same time, there are FDA cleared devices for dysphagia treatment where you may be able to um, and I don't name names, you may be able to adjust for, you may be able to adjust your parameters for what you are trying to get done. Maybe, and there's some really, like I literally just read a research article the other day, and I want to give credit to the author, but I don't remember who it was. Been a long week, I can't remember, but think of <laughs> I'll think of it, or I can send it to you later, you can do whatever. Um and they used specifically high frequency submotor electrical current to the anterior neck region with the goal being not to get a motor response but to increase and bombard this whole sensory area, which if we think about what's going on deep in the airway cough response, throat clear, you know, all of those things, it was designed specifically to just bombard sensory information to this anterior neck area, um, which, you know, when would that be appropriate? You know, maybe it's on, I don't know, someone who has a severely delayed swallow reflex or has really low frequency of of swallowing. Maybe they're only getting one to two swallows every minute or two minutes or something like that. If it's a sensory issue and that's what you want to target, sure, why not, right? But if that's not the issue and that's not what the patient's impairment is, why would you use parameters that don't evoke a motor response in the right way we want it to happen? Gotcha. If if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I guess what, what does make sense to use then? Well, I think based on what we know, and and again, we... We don't have a great evidence base in dysphagia on how to use NMES. Or if it doesn't even. Yeah. I mean, you, you Google Scholar right now and NMES dysphagia and look at any abstract and you'll see, uh, you know, it's really mixed. We, we, we don't know. And I feel like, and this kind of piggybacks on a lot of the stuff we've been talking about with tens and parameters and, um, you know, what NMES is. I think a lot of it boils down to is we don't really know how to use it. Yeah. You know, we kind of got gifted this tech, you know, this approach, this modality from, you know, OT and PT and physio and stuff. And it's like, what do I do with this? Yeah. I don't know. Slap it on and see what happens. And see what the response is and and no one's to blame for that because it's still relatively new in how we use it in our field. And so a lot of the research which we should ultimately be basing our clinical decisions on is muddied. And I think a lot of that goes to we don't really know or, you know, when we're faced with using NMES, we don't really know what parameters we should use. And a lot of times it shows. And I think that's why a lot of the evidence is mixed is because we're just kind of, we're just kind of doing whatever we do. And, and that's fine. We grow our evidence as well. This works. This didn't work. This placement worked. This placement didn't work. You know, PT and OT have had Literally, electrical stimulation has been around for, like, hundreds of years. 
<laughs> they've got a long time of doing this stuff. We've been looking at it for like 15. You know, so there's a lot of growth um, to be done and it's getting better and better. But I think a lot of it goes to what parameters are we using? How, how does this stuff work? Right. And that's a, a long thing we can get into after, but just based on that. And again, based on what does NMAS do? Makes muscles contract so that we can move muscles and their associated structures where we want them to go. From a physiological standpoint, in treating dysphagia, makes most sense to target that on the superhighways. Mm-hmm. And because of that, NMAS probably, for now, for now, really only makes sense to treat very specific physiological impairments. And what are those? Where are we putting it? Superhyoids, so probably hyolaryngeal elevation and excursion. It's probably what we can best, you know, educated guess at what's going to work the best. Um, and I've done... I'm, I'm not plugging or tooting horns or anything, but that's what we found looking retrospectively at some stroke patients is that's what's improved. There is no evidence right now. And again, I think that's where a lot of the, the evidence waters have been muddied too is we don't know what it's going to change. Right? I don't know. <laughs> um, or we're looking in looking in the wrong places maybe it's not a it's not a magic treatment we can only target what we can get to and the only thing we can get to is probably high laryngeal elevation i think that's what like is confusing i think cuz you know if you think of pt or ot they can just choose some parameters put it on an arm and you're not going to damage much on an arm But I think, you know, for this like sensory rich swallowing mechanism and, you know, you're manipulating the airway, I think, you know, that's like what I think of when, you know, I think of just, you know, some people just put the electrodes anywhere and say, we're, you know, we're moving. And it's like, but I, well, where are we we going? And and you're right. It's a great point. And I think that's why, like. We just need to take a step back and and really think about like what do we want the airway to do? Yeah. And like we the larynx and the airway, like we want it to move up and to do it quickly. Um and so you know, these you know, all these different playing around with potential placements like infrahyoids, like pulling it down in an effort to create this like you know, rebound, like overshoot, like, oh, if we pull it down, it's like a slingshot. That's not how NMES works. And if we go back to, to what I've been saying, I feel like I'm just you know, hitting the same thing over and over again, but like, we need to know what NMES does. It's not designed to contract opposing muscles so that the ones we want to move will move further. That's not how that works. There's a whole lot of funkiness in there. That's yeah. yeah, and that's like that's not. And again, we just need to like pull back. Like, hey, would you strengthen your bicep and be like, my triceps are going to be jacked after this. I can't wait. That's not how that works, and that's not how NMES as an approach should work either. It's facilitative. That's the whole point. We're getting the muscles that we want to move and the structures to move in the direction we want them to and to get stronger at doing it and to get functionally better at doing it. Fair enough. Well, thank you. That was a good explanation. I hope so. You know, I think, and we talked earlier about differences between TENS and NMES. And I talked a little bit about the parameters you would use for TENS and how it's very high frequency. And we're talking like 
hundreds and hundreds of pulses of electrical current per second. And how it's designed to be sub-motor, right? It's not designed to make structures move. I mean, you could. You could crank up the intensity on tens and it'd probably be more painful than the pain you're trying to make go away. But the type of parameters you use for NMES, and, you know, when we think about electrical stimulation in big muscles, right? Like we think like quads, even, you know, biceps or even smaller like wrist flexors and extenders and stuff like that. We think like, I got to make this thing move. You know, like I need to, I got to crank it up. I got to do this or do that. And that's just not true. You know, when we think about what parameters we use, what the evidence says, parameters we should use that we can borrow from PT, physio, OT, stuff like that, the frequency, how many we get, right? how much electrical current's going through per second, it's really tiny. Right? We don't need that much to generate or to make a muscle contract. When we think about what TENS does, I mean, that's, like I said, hundreds, hundreds, even thousands of times per second electrical current. You would never want to do something that high, something like that, with NMES because, one, sensory stuff takes over. If you, and that's why TENS works the way it does, is it's, it's high frequency. It's getting to sensory stuff. And also, the muscles we would put it on, superhyoids, right? Are they big? No. You know, there are these tiny little muscles kind of layered on top of one another that are really superficial. And so really you need, and this is what the data shows looking at PT, OT, to make a muscle like that move, you need like 30 hertz. Which if you think about what tens does, hundreds and hundreds of thousands you need 30 at most to make a muscle contract like that. And there are some approaches, devices that say, oh, you can use, it can be higher, it can be lower, but why would you? Yeah. All you need is, you just need a little bit. You need 30 hertz for your parameters. Anything above that doesn't do anything else. You're, the more you add on to that thinking, I need to get somewhere. Right? Like I need to get to musculature or structures that are deep in there or something like that. You can't. And, and you should try. And that's what I think is, you know, understanding like, what does it take? What does NMES really take? Um, and it's not anything near as the intensity as to move a bigger muscle. You know, the, it just doesn't take that much. And so a lot of the, a lot of those parameters that are floated out there and that people feel like they can use, um, and they're like, oh, it says it's okay. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, but why would you? Yeah. Um, and I think another thing that people lose sight of, Two or just don't just don't know because why would you think about it, right? And that's no one's fault. I wouldn't have thought about it if I was a clinician. Um, is how much work, how much stimulation am I giving this patient? And not in terms of like it's dangerous, but in terms of what is the amount of work that I'm making a muscle do under stimulation. So a lot of other protocols and stuff like that claim like slap it on, here's your parameters, and the electrical current is on for a minute. Go ahead, and whoever's listening to this, Tracy, you can try it too. I want you to go ahead and just flex your bicep 
for a minute straight. And let me know how that feels. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. How long could you reliably maintain a good flex for without your arm just falling down by your side, right? Yeah. Now imagine we're trying to keep that contraction for a minute or longer. How uncomfortable does that sound? Miserable. (laughs) It sounds miserable. It sounds painful. And not only that, it follows... If you're trying to do NMES now, I'm talking about anything else, talking about neuromuscular electrical stimulation. If that is your goal in treating your patient, it makes no physiological sense to try to keep a muscle contracted for, I mean, I was going to give a lower limit, but it makes no sense to try and keep it contracted longer than it needs to be. Yeah. Mostly because it literally can't. Your muscles reach a physiological point. When you're lifting weights and you're lifting and you're trying to hold a contraction, there reaches a certain time where your muscles cannot contract anymore. And it fails. That's fine. That's okay. It's a protective mechanism so that we don't tear our muscles or do anything wrong. We wouldn't do that in exercise. Your muscles, when we're doing NMES, literally cannot physically hold a contraction for that long. And so it gets to a point where now you're just bombarding a fatigued, metabolically done muscle with unnecessary electrical stimulation, of which... You're not doing any good other than not allowing those muscles to recover. Why do we think we take breaks in between sets of bench presses, bicep curls, right? I mean, one, because we're tired. Yeah. But two, it's a built-in break for your muscles. When you work a muscle, you literally tear it down. And you also introduce a lot of metabolic waste that your muscle needs to clear out so it can function again. If you are leaving stimulation on for, I don't know, longer than even like 10 seconds, all you're doing is getting in the way of those muscles and those structures from being able to recover. So now you're actually going to do less work. Um, because you leave it on for, you know, whatever, 30 seconds, 45, 60 seconds, and then you're right back on it again. And then you're right back on it again. And then stim comes on again. And there's no recovery period. So you get to a point where your muscles can't contract anymore. And you're not even doing anything. You are no longer doing NMES at that point because your muscles can't contract. Um, or if they do, it hurts. It's going to be painful. And, and so I think thinking about what, just what makes sense in those kinds of scenarios and things like that. It just, it's a lot of things that float out there that we do and we don't know why we do them. Um, and we seem to think like, Oh, like, yeah, I don't want to hold a barbell and squeeze my arms for a minute because then afterwards it's going to take me even longer to recover. And you're going to do less work. And so just doing things like that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, hopefully helpful. Yes, very much so. All right. So where do we go from here? What's your, uh, how are you going to solve world peace here? No, no, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if there will ever be world peace when it comes to NMES and, and dysphagia, but I think. Something we, we need to do is, especially on the research side of things, and we're getting better at this. I'm, I'm seeing more and more. We need to report the parameters that we use. And you wonder why, you know, you read things that are like, oh, well, it, it didn't work. It doesn't work. It's like, but what, what did you do? Yeah. Right. Like all you did was slap electrodes on 
and they did X, Y, Z, which is fine. But, um, you know, we need to be specific in what we're doing. Otherwise we can't get better at understanding what works and what doesn't work. If most importantly here, and this is the point I want to emphasize, we can't get better at it if clinicians don't understand what works, why I need to do what I need to do, you know, and I always try and come at this from, I'm a clinician first. And so a lot of the things that I remember reading and seeing as a clinician, trying to read research and interpret all these things that are happening, I'm like, I don't, I have no idea what you did. I literally have no idea the things that you did in this study or what you're trying to target or anything. It's just, it's hard and it takes a lot of time. And so I think we need to be more specific in, in what we're doing because that'll force us to understand what it is we're really doing and understanding these parameters and how this stuff works. Yeah. And I think we, you know, I don't know if like, randomized control trials and more healthy quote unquote I'm doing air quotes for those who can't see me quote unquote healthy normal studies I don't I don't know how much that's telling us you know and, and we need to do those things and I've done that kind of study and you know we've we all do those things because we need we need to know if it's safe and what might work but I just Dysphagia rehab is hard to do in a controlled way. I mean, it's near impossible to really actually have something like that. And so I think we need to just peel it back and say, and start looking at how does this work in real patients? I, I just, I think, you know, using like case reports and case series describing the course of therapy, specific parameters, what was done. I think will just give us a better, a better viewpoint of what's really happening. Yeah. Cause I think, I mean, I think that's the big thing is like, you hear people that are like, Oh, I love it. It works great. And it's like, well, what are you doing? And then there's other people that are like, it does nothing. And it's like, well, what are you doing? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and that's the thing is, and that's the thing with all research and, and what makes it doubly hard in dysphagia research is we're not doing a drug study. We can't just give people a pill and it works or it doesn't work. We're dealing with, as clinicians, we treat people in the real world. We don't treat people in control environments. We don't. Do other stuff going on um, that affects treatment outcomes. And I really think if we want to know if a treatment like this works, we got to look at it in the real world. We, we just, we have to. And this is, reminds me of the way a lot of other fields work. In that a lot of times clinicians know what's up way before people in research ever got caught up with it. Um, and it takes time. And if clinicians are saying, Hey, this works, like why we need to study in those populations why it's working and study in those populations why it's not working in the real world because like, and I know, being a clinician, I don't care what you did in the lab. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> I don't care what you saw in there. In the real world, I can't do that. I don't have time for that. I don't have X, Y, Z for that. So I, I, I think that's that's the direction we need to go, is we need to look at what are clinicians doing, what populations are they using it in, is it working? Yeah. And I think that's ultimately, I think, in a very biased way. Um, admittedly, I think where we think, you know, where I think that's where we need to look is yeah. what's cool. happening in, in real patients. Yeah. Sounds, sounds simple enough. Awesome. Well, thanks, Matt. We covered, we covered a lot today. This was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, do you have any, any final thoughts, any, anything we didn't cover that you want to touch on for the people? I think that's it, you know? Um, and you know, I'm not, you know, I think I've, I've said, Maybe, probably, perhaps, might, probably a lot throughout the, all of this. Um, and that's because, like, I don't think NMES is a magic pill 
or the best thing in the world. Or even said, like, it probably, for now, we know it probably works in helping, like, one or two things from the hard evidence that we have. I just want, I want clinicians to understand, I want everyone to, myself included, to continue to understand what is actually happening when we're using this. What are the appropriate, when I say appropriate, I mean, like, physiology, like, muscle structures, how this stuff works. What am I doing? Is it appropriate to not be scared of it? And and to know that, like, yeah, there are things you should not do with this at all. Um, but, like, for specific impairments, it could be a really great tool mm-hmm. that that you can use. And so, you know, again, it's not magic. Um, but I think that cliche, it's another tool in your tool belt. Uh, and then I really, I think it can be. We just need to continue to understand how. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you so much. This was wonderful. Yeah. I appreciate you uh, having me on and taking the time. Um, it's been great getting to, to meet and talk about it. Yeah. Awesome. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.